week on the After School Archive Club. We also like to trash talk the British Museum on this podcast. Can you imagine? Like, you're a curator or whatever, like, who knows. You work in a museum and you're like, I'm just going to commit a major crime and hope no one catches me. It's like, how do you... How can you, do you not care any about history at all or about being a curator? What's up, everyone? Welcome back to After School Archive Club, a podcast by history lovers for history lovers, where we talk about all things, well, history, obviously, and adulting and regular life stuff and... We also like to trash talk the British Museum on this podcast. <laughs> Truly, we never it's thought true. this day would come. We get to trash talk the British Museum. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. That being said, if they ever wanted to hire me, I'd be right there. Yeah, that's true. It's It'd be one of those work, like employers that you're like, I'll work for you, but I'm also going to trash talk you behind your back. Yeah, I'm going to like, you know, I'm like... Um, this is such a niche reference, but I'm going to make it anyway. I don't know if you've ever seen the Christmas episode of Community. No, Like the I sitcom. Haven't. Oh, there's this Christmas episode in which the character Donald, Donald Glover plays. Yeah, Childish Gambino. He's, Jeho- he's a Jehovah's Witness. Oh but he, he's like, I'm a Jehovah's Witness who's pretending to be into Christmas. <laughs> exactly. To like take down Christmas from within. Anyway, if you know that reference... I'm not going to wrap it. It's a wrap. I'm not going to wrap it to you. Anyway, that's what I would do. (laughs) Yeah. So um, we're going to be chatting through, I guess. So it's really funny. We were prepping for this episode. And as you can probably tell, um, Robin and Patrick aren't here um, because life's just getting busy, which, which happens, especially this time of year. They're both like either teaching or in school right now. So it's busy time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, we were like, okay, what are we going to chat about? What topics are we going to bring to the table? And then, like, Katie and I both coincidentally started jotting down notes about this topic. So I think it makes sense yeah. that it's Separate just Separate from two. one another. Yes, exactly. We didn't yeah. coordinate it at all. And I was like, okay, here's my notes. And then Katie was like, oh, my God, I was going to talk about that, too. So uh, that's what we're doing today. I don't know if anyone's seen it in the news, but there is just quite the scandal going on at the British Museum right now. Yes. So we were actually, before we started recording, we were trying to like get the timeline of this coming out like a little bit more straight. And honestly, it's still not totally straight in my head. But if you haven't, if you haven't heard, let's do like the quickest recap possible. Sometime over the summer, it was like announced or I think it was done in like a press release or something that the British Museum had launched a review into a bunch of stolen objects and that there was a curator who was fired and interviewed by the Met Police, the police in London. But that person hasn't been charged. And also the British Museum was like, that's not the person who committed the crime, which I was like, like well, then, then why did, did you fire yeah. them? <laughs> but essentially there is, I think, over 2,000 objects that have gone missing from the collection since as early as 2013. That's insane. Yes. And the craziest bit is that it was flagged not by an internal source, but by an external antiquities collector 
who was like, I've definitely purchased British Museum collection objects on eBay. And that like so for, crazy. for like two years, they were like, no, bruh, you aren't. And then they were like, wait. We're the British Museum. We would never do that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we would. Yeah. And then they were like, wait, maybe that does miss some, match something that's like missing from our collection. Whoops. Whoops. And now there's like 2,000 artifacts missing. Like most of them haven't been found. <laughs> no, no. Like um, it's, and it's all stuff. I mean, this probably goes without saying that it's all stuff that's not on display. This man was yes. not like, like breaking into the museum at night and like taking like the prize jewels from the like actual display cases. They were all yeah. like research objects. Still valuable though. Absolutely. Anything in the British Museum's collection is, like, worthy of some sort of, you know, acclaim. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it, the article I was reading said that, like, the oldest object is from the 15th century BCE. That's crazy. Like. And it's just so crazy to think that, like, no one knows where, like, no one knows where they went. It's been happening for years like, I'm like, do you not have security foot? Like, nothing. I guess they're probably conducting in their own investigation right now. But it's just such a weird, like, we, and especially at the British Museum. But I think as we get into it, we'll talk a little bit why, like, why this is so telling about the British Museum and, like, museums as a whole. Um, but, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. No, I think it brings up, like, two really interesting topics. And because it's just the two of us and we have nothing else to discuss, we can, we can, we can right do in. both. Yeah. But, like... The, the one half of, like, talking about, like, repatriation and, like, you know, the British Museum yeah. as this, you know, whatever you, like, hallmark of collecting in the West. But then there's also the other half that, like, I, it may, it triggered it for me is, like, how much stuff the British Museum actually has that it can lose 2,000 objects and not, and not notice. notice. Yeah, it's insane. You just like think like if one thing went missing from my apartment, I'd be like, where did that go? Yeah. Meanwhile, exactly. Yeah. Or even like little small museums here, like yeah, you know, little local house museum. Same thing. They would they notice when stuff goes missing. It's it's so I think it's really telling because again, like in terms of museums, the British Museum is one of the most acclaimed, like also one of the most controversial. But in terms of like the most traditional museum you can think of. Um, very much based around the Enlightenment, which is kind of where the, the whole idea of a museum came from, where you collect all these objects and then you kind of like display them as a way to learn something about a culture or, or all of these kinds of things. Um, and it's just so crazy that of all the museums, like the like this museum would be this corrupt. And it makes sense why they would have so much stuff they wouldn't even care if it went missing because they do they they generally have been more of a like just a repository for other people's cultural things and there's been calls to repatriate like very like large important objects like the um oh the marbles the The elgin um, marbles the elgin marbles that's right Mm -hmm. um but even just to think about like the little even these little whatever these artifacts were they're clearly very small very like kind of not as significant, but even still, if they can't keep those things safe, then like, why are we trusting them with some of the most like precious artifacts in the world? Like, yes. if you can't keep track of what's in your storeroom, 
can you keep track of anything and are you like responsible enough to hold these things while also looking at these communities who are like hey we really like our cultural items back because they belong to us and you stole them and they're like no we're gonna take better care of them because we can conserve them for people to enjoy forever or whatever and they're not even doing that so yes. it's like, should you have artifacts at all if this has happened? It, this is such an interesting case because it's breaking down, like, the two key arguments that the British yeah. Museum always makes. The first being that, like, we have the capacity to take care of things. And then the second is that, like, having them in London, effectively, makes it so that more people can access them. And it's yeah. like, well, you haven't really been taking care of everything because you have too much stuff, so you can't actually take care of everything. And because you have too much stuff, you can't put it on display. So, like, yeah. people can't So what's the point those. in having it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, like, instead, if we did repatriate these things, like, not only would, yeah, they actually get to be seen and enjoyed, but, like, they'd also, like, the interpretation of those things would be so much more meaningful. It's, like, there, you lose so much when you take an object out of context, right? For sure. Like, like it's just like I think I would much rather go see like an Egyptian sarcophagus within the tomb that it was discovered in which you can see in Egypt for a lot of them like in the tomb like Ramses II is there instead of like going to the ROM and seeing like that one mummy that they have there that's just like this yeah. is just ran- random person so yeah it's just it's just it's just a really crazy I don't know man it's a it's an interesting case and it's also funny to think of it like so for our listeners who have never been to the British Museum, if you're Canadian and you can use the ROM as a backdrop, it's very similar to the ROM in like lots of ways. But if you don't have that, it's like imagine a museum where every room is a different like place and they have all of this stuff from that place. And it, it's like incredible to see. And when you're in the moment, I was talking to somebody about this. I cannot remember who it was. When you're in the moment, it's like, wait, I'm actually quite happy this is all here because I get to see it. All and then you take a step back and, and yeah. you're like, wait, yeah. Exactly. All of a sudden you, you think, oh, I don't know if that's supposed to be, like, you know, obviously it's like not supposed to be there. And you're like, wait, no, I, I don't think I'm happy about that. But like in the moment you're like, oh, I can yeah. actually like see that's everything. That's the draw, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And even yeah. like a lot of these artifacts, like because the British Museum is so old too, like they almost have like a secondary history. They have like their provenance history, like where they came from, whatever else. But then... The, the British Museum is such a huge institution and it's like such has a, such a storied past that like it's interesting that like their theft and like their like their I guess residence in the museum like is also a whole other part of its history because it's been there so long for a lot of these things and yeah that is something I'm not sure I, f- I feel like my brain always just defaults to like oh they've just like had all these artifacts for a really long time because the British Empire is really old, the museum's really old, and it was just like, here's all this old stuff that we had here, take care of it. And I don't know how much they're actually accessioning. Like, I don't know throughout the year, like, are they also adding new stuff all the time? That's a great question. You know what? They might actually have... They might have that data Something about that on the accession policy because it's easy to be like yeah it's easy to point fingers and be like you guys have all this stuff you're not doing anything with it but i also wonder if they are adding stuff or are they deaccessioning things i i doubt it but so they they have an acquisition policy that was from 2018 so obviously i mean but any 
institution these days. Even if you aren't actively collecting, you should really have yeah. an accession and acquisition exactly. policy. Well, I'm sure they have like 50 people a day being like, I found this thing in my grandma's house. Do you want it? <laughs> Just like every museum ever. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I, I have this, would you like it? And they're like, no. No. Now I want to look how many objects yeah. are in their computer. Oh, don't you worry. I, ha- I, I did a lot of Googling. Oh, they good. Have you have eight, it? Yeah, they have eight million objects in their collection. Eight million. Oh eight million. So okay. Yeah, no wonder 2000 was like, yeah, whatever, it's nothing. No wonder 2000. That being said... On display currently, there are 80,000 objects, wow. which sounds like a lot in the moment, but that's 1%. It's it's 1% of their collection. That's insane that they only... Yeah. Then why do you need all this stuff? Like, that makes no sense to me. Ugh. Yeah, it's... And it's a really interesting... I mean, I'm sure it's a, probably a problem because you think of it like if you're the curator of like whatever... Um, something you're the Gre- like the Greco-Roman curator, and like there's gonna be so much stuff, and you're not gonna even be able to like do anything with it. I mean, you can't even like access it in most cases, and so it's like, what is the point? But then deacquisitioning it, like getting rid of it, deaccessing it, is just as hard. It is absolutely. Because again, where does it go? And that's the thing with museums too, is like, this is the, you know, international conference of museums. Like they all agree, right? That like the purpose of a museum is not only to like um, collect artifacts and then exhibit them and make them accessible, but it is also to conserve them. And it's interesting that we kind of have this huge kind of disjunction between like, because again, I think a lot of it is that the British Museum is, is very much just like Britain as a whole throughout its whole history is a very patriarchal society. And so the way that they view this is like we have the we have the authority to hold on to these objects and to care for them. And we're the only ones that are going to care for them properly. And it's interesting now that this story has come out is that that's like far from what was happening um, you can't have this many objects and protect them all and keep them safe from theft or from whatever else. It's just crazy. And um, I, so I was reading this amazing article in the New York Times. It's kind of how I first found this story. Uh, it's called What a Scandal at the British Museum Reveals by Jason Felch. And I'll link it in the show notes below. But he had a really good kind of couple quotes that I like wanted to bring up because I thought the way that he kind of like articulated this um, conundrum was really was really interesting. So he said that um, the British Museum must use this scandal as an opportunity to update the dusty notion of the so-called Universal Museum. So that's what Katie you were talking about with you go to this museum and every culture and every country is represented even though we're not anywhere close to any of those countries or cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said rethinking how these institutions can exist in a 21st century world where the sharing and blending of cultures has never been more critical uh, or crucial, sorry. Rather than resisting calls to repatriate contested objects in their collections, museums should be transparent about their holdings and how they they were acquired. 
They should embark on a campaign of generous long-term loans that allow objects to circulate freely across borders, and they should embrace digital tools to open their storage facilities to public scrutiny. This is an opportunity to radically reimagine the mission and purpose of the Universal Museum. Places like the Metropolitan Museum, the Louvre, the Prado, and the British Museum, and what they owe to the world. Wow. That was really cool. Especially the what they owe to the world. I think that's cool, too. Because there is a responsibility in caring for objects if they're not from your culture or from your country. Um, which, again, like the British Museum has clearly been so negligent on. Um, but yeah, it has, I think he brings up a lot of really cool points and like, it's stuff that we've talked about on this podcast before, like digital collections, like you, like if they started to digitize some of this stuff and like 3d scan it and everything, which they definitely have the resources to do, all of these 8 million objects could actually be enjoyed and like be enjoyed and disseminated across a large area through multiple countries and different languages and all that kind of stuff. It could be a cool way to decentralize the the ownership of the artifacts that they have uh, especially if you're able to like collaborate with then like or even like with repatriation why if they want to hold on to these things and keep them within their collections couldn't you not make a digital scan of it and then long-term loan them or repatriate them fully and still have those artifacts you know within your catalog and display and whatever but then they actually get repatriated and their cultural significance is kind of fulfilled while still having that, like, this is a, a record of this person or this culture or this moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it, it'll be really interesting to see what comes of this. I mean, I won't hold my breath. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't really think, I think that that kind of large scale project would be incredible. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, as you were describing it, I just thought about the manpower to try and digitize 8 million oh, things. God. I mean, a lot of their collection is online. It is, yeah. A lot so, of it's already done. But but a lot of their collection has no images online. So all the information, because they'll have a collections management system where they have to have everything listed. Yeah. So that's all online. But then, like, most of them don't have pictures because, of course, they're, like, locked away in, in a basement somewhere in, like, climate-controlled areas. Yeah. But, like, you know, it not anywhere that's accessible. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they if they take anything from this. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but the director stepped down yes. um, in July in the wake of this. Um, really in the wake of a comment he made about the collector who like raised the initial flag about it happening. He'd essentially, I mean, I'm really paraphrasing here, guys, but he was <laughs> essentially like, that guy didn't help us very much. And everyone was like, he's the one who raised the alarm. And then yeah. he was like, yeah, okay, I stepped down. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, because clearly I probably knew this was going on. I just chose to ignore it. So, (laughs) yeah, it was it's a really interesting like conversation. And I think repatriation is where like lots of people have gone. But the thing that interests me more is this idea of like how big are museum collections? Yeah. And that's why I could pull the number about the British Museum so quickly, because I went through and I wanted to know like how that was comparable to other museums yeah totally yeah like because, what about the like, met like what does the met have yes you know? do yeah. i have the met written down let's see um yeah so the met has 1.5 million artworks okay which is still a lot still a lot especially if it's just if we're just talking art <laughs> we're just talking art there yeah. now this is so this whole thing that uh, that like triggered this in my brain is that like 
two or three years ago, I listened to a revisionist history podcast episode, which is Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, if you haven't we heard stand. of it. We stand. We stand. And it's called Dragon Psychology. And it's a really interesting um, episode because it's actually, I'm pretty sure it's about the Met. It's about how the Met was filing for bankruptcy oh. or something Whoa. because they, they couldn't like afford things. And Malcolm Gladwell was essentially like, sell two objects in your collection and you will no longer have to file for yeah, bankruptcy. Exactly. And it's like, mm, why don't we do that? And this idea that like museums will not let go of collections under any circumstances. Yeah. Which I think is, like, so true. And, I mean, there are reasons for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, it's like, what would happen and, if the Louvre didn't have the Mona Lisa? How many thousands of people would not go to the Louvre because the, the Mona Lisa isn't there? The most famous piece of artwork in history isn't there. Like, it is crazy because these museums are so big and they have all of these, like, really, really important collections. That, yeah, that, like, I, I get it. The visitation wouldn't be it would be a huge issue for them like they wouldn't have people coming in the door but at for the, sure but at the same time like then that leads them to do this thing again right where they're just like hoarding all of this stuff and putting it in a shelf somewhere or in a blocked room or in a drawer or whatever and it just never sees the light of day ever yeah because we're too scared to let let it go and let it like actually serve a purpose in the world and like let people enjoy it See, and that's the crazy part, because I think if you were talking to people and you said, you know, why don't you sell that object or repatriate it or whatever? Yeah. And they'd say, oh, but what if it goes into a private collection and then it's inaccessible? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many times we talk about art and we we have to talk about it in very vague terms because it's in a private collection. And so there's no like photographs of it or something. But it's like, is it all that different being in a private collection or being in the storage facility of the British Museum? Exactly. If like... The only people who can truly access it are like high up researchers in a with a university affiliation, essentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. And again, like, yeah. or couldn't we like could we not create some sort of like better system for repatriation where like it won't go into a private collection or something like that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, or again, like, can we get these really generous loans and that kind of thing? So like you can have it like if I had a priceless piece of artwork in my collection, which will probably never happen, <laughs> I would do that. I would be like, it is mine. I can enjoy it. But for like eight to nine months or whatever out of the year, I'll loan it to whatever museum because I'd rather people enjoy it because that's the point of art. The point of art is to be yeah. seen. Same thing with these objects. What's the point of digging them out of the ground and conserving them and all these things if if they're not being seen? So Yeah. But I guess and the crazy, a lot of private people wouldn't want to do that. But No, no. Well that's how rich people work. Yeah. But the crazy thing is it's not like these objects are like, you know, prized pieces of art or anything. Like not that they're not, but like Everything, for the most part, that went missing is stuff that you could sell pretty easily on the black market, yeah. a.k.a. jewels, right? So they're yeah. all, like, jewelry from different eras, mm-hmm. which I'm like, wow. It's still crazy. Can you imagine, like, you're a curator or whatever, like, who knows, you work in a museum and you're like, I'm just going to commit a major crime and hope Go no one catches black- me. It's like, how do you... How can you, do you not care any about history at all or about being a curator? You're literally like, sell it to other museums, sure, whatever. Like, but the black market? Like, what the hell? Yeah. 
God, yeah. uh, how much money did this person make too? That's what I want to know. Like, like gee, no probably idea, millions of dollars <laughs> if it's two thousand. I mean, things. I hope for their sake they made a fair amount of money. Just you know, because yeah. like if you're gonna commit a crime, make it worth like a white collar crime. Make it worthwhile. <laughs> Oh, that is so crazy. Yeah. It's, like, such a weird story. But it's... And, like, and then... So I started looking up into what museums... Like, what the collections um, numbers are for most museums. Yeah. And I don't know if you've actually scrolled down in the notes. If you haven't, don't yet. Because I want you to guess the one that I found with the most objects. Okay. Uh, it's not the British Museum, FYI. Okay, and this is just, like, a, one of the, like, bigger museums in the world? This is just, like, uh, yeah, I just started Googling, like, kind of at random museums. Mm. So this isn't, like, the official largest collection ever. It was just, like, I wanted some comparable ones, so I picked some from different countries that people might know. Would it is it in the States? No. Okay, because I was going to guess, like, the Smithsonian. Um, I don't know if I looked up the Smithsonian. I would say it must be something in Greece or in Egypt is my guess. Or no? Or I don't know. I was so mystified by this. I checked it like eight times. And so if I'm wrong, I am so sorry. The ROM has 13 million objects. The ROM! The ROM. That's insane. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's way more than the British Museum has. Why are we only shitting? Like, why are we shitting on the British Museum then? What the hell? <laughs> Shit on the ROM. That's crazy. Now, I I do have to make the caveat that the British the the ROM so the Royal Ontario Museum is like Canada's kind of equivalent to the British Museum, mm-hmm. but the British Museum in the kind of middle of the Victorian period breaks up, so it breaks into the British Library, the British Museum, and the Natural History Museum. Yeah. Whereas the ROM is all of those things still. True, yeah. But still, 13 million objects is a lot of objects. It's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot. Anyway, yeah, so that was, like, mystifying to me. Yeah. Every other, uh, like, numbers I found, like, and then, like, the British Museum and the ROM are up there with, like, high, high millions. Everybody else is, like, below 2 million. And then we get to, like, whack things, like the National Gallery in London. 2300 i'm pretty sure it has like almost all of that on display wow yeah Yeah. absolutely wow that's really cool so maybe it's like like, like the art world is doing something a little bit better than the like museum world and i think that makes sense right well for lots of reasons the first being that like like an object in like a museum world could be like a shard of pottery and you're like one object yes and you're like that it's not really worth like displaying you know when there's like a better piece of pottery on display already but yeah yeah and you don't like amass i mean obviously they still do the thing where they amass tons and tons but it's like a different type right like you don't you don't necessarily need every da vinci piece of art ever yeah i mean you maybe you'd want it but like you have the mona lisa you don't need everything else he's ever done yeah you have the mona lisa yeah so it's a it's a really interesting thing to then look at and think like so if there are 13 million objects in a museum, you can never do an inventory check for that. No. Like, you can never check and make sure everything is where it's supposed to be. I'm, yeah, I'm sure something like this has happened at the ROM, too. Like, there yeah. are probably things missing. Um, and it could even just, it doesn't even need to be theft. Like, it could just be misplacement, mismanagement. Like, I'm sure it happens. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is crazy. 
Especially they have and a lot like, of organic stuff too. Like they have the bones and plants and fossils. And oh yeah, all that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, I always forget the ROM has like dinosaur stuff. Yeah, which is weird too. Because does the whack. British Museum have that? I don't think so. No, because like they all got moved history. to the natural history. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay. So. Yeah, that's the thing about the ROM. It is it is natural history and regular history and art. <laughs> it really is. Everything, it's everything all in one. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I was thinking about this, and then I was talking to some other people who, like, work in museums, and it's like, yeah, like, people probably don't, people probably read the thing about the British Museum mm-hmm. and think, how could that happen? Without realizing that, like, of course it can happen, because there's no system to monitor. Yeah. And there can't be. No. You cannot monitor 8 million things. It's just impossible. Yeah, absolutely. And then that just takes us back to, again, then, like, why, why even have these things at all, you know? Yeah. Like um, the the um, the Fletch or, or Felch article had another really cool quote that was basically kind of the same thing where, um, uh, where was it? Uh, if these institutions fail at a fundamental task of physically protecting the treasures they are supposedly preserving, how can they justify keeping things they themselves have taken from other societies? <laughs> It's like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Especially with, like, yeah. I, the ROM does this as well. And, like, obviously the same thing is at the British Museum where there are a lot of, like, indigenous artifacts. And, like, obviously there's a lot of artifacts that are less contested that, like, maybe it wouldn't make sense to repatriate, but there are a lot of other artifacts where it's been, like, heavily, like, you know, publicized that, like, we want these artifacts back. Like, specifically um, a lot of, like, human remains and very sacred cultural items that have been taken Uh, and put on display and like if we can't even like repatriate those things then how are we going to be able to transcend this like hoarding problem that museums seem to have you know and that's really frustrating Um, yeah because it's like they can't wrap their head around even repatriating the things that like you can really justifiably like ask for back like I won't tell this full story but if you're interested in this the Whole Picture by Alice Proctor is a great book that, like, goes into the psychology of museums and, yeah. like, the history of museums. But she talks about an object in the British Museum collection that's, like, a shield that's from what's now Australia. And it is, like, an indigenous object. They yeah. say aboriginal. It's an aboriginal object. And they, like, know where it came from. And they just will not give it back. Yeah. And it's, like, in the, in, like, Austra- like the Australian museums have, like, asked for it back. And this is, like, we're talking about Australia, like, a, a commonwealth country, a yeah. former colony, like... Like, they would take yeah. care of it. It's not like you're letting it go to, like, oh, some random collector or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. it would be taken care of. And it just, again, taking it out of that context of Australia makes no sense to just, like, here's this thing from Australia. And I guess what they've been doing is, like, we talked about this, like, universal museum thing, right? Where... It's kind of, I, I almost wonder if that's why they hold on to stuff is that, well, like, oh, we, we're, if we, we need to be truly universal, then we need to represent everything from the world in this one spot. And it's just so weird to me that the British Museum, it's called the British Museum, but it's not really about Britain. <laughs> like, it's ob- not- obviously there's a Britain section with like your Viking stuff and your Saxon stuff and whatever, but yeah. it's mostly about the rest of the world. And I know at one point Britain really was most of the world, but... It's just so weird that, like, other museums, like, most museums, it's, like, the museum of this. Australian museum. Cool. I'm going to see Australian culture. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go there and see, like, the crown jewels from Britain. But for some reason, the British Museum 
Like, it's the total opposite. And it's just yeah. shitty because, like, I imagine not only is it so, like, probably very, like, makes people very angry and upset and sad and frustrated to have their cultural objects, like, not, like, on display, stolen from them, and they refuse to give them back. But to do that and then to also completely mismanage them, like, to say that you are not worthy of having this object but I'll, and, and we'll keep it safe, but at the same time, like, this shit is happening, like... Yeah. I would be incensed. <laughs> yeah, no. It must be, like, super frustrating for people who have worked really hard for decades to get yeah. objects back. To have this, like, revealed and just, like, yeah. Yeah. God. When you said that, I've realized, like, I can't even picture what the, like, British or, like, you know, British Isles gallery even... I don't know if I've even ever been so in much it. of that... Yeah, I don't even... Does it exist? I don't know if it exists. It does. It does It exist. does, because the... The Lewis Chessmen, which are Scottish, okay, yeah. are mainly down there. Ah. We only have like five of them. Okay, The cool. rest of them are down in the British Museum. Of course. So they must be, I <laughs> know, of course. So they must be somewhere there because yeah. they are on display. Because they're like, it's a chess set. Yeah, well, they're it's like, like the really medieval. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys yeah. are cool. Yeah. Yeah. But if you think about 8 million anyway. objects, like the majority of those are not originating from England or the UK. No. It's it's a a like long story and long history. So if you're interested in this, I mean the, the whole picture is not just about the British Museum, but Alice Proctor pre-pandemic did these tours where she would take people into museums and do like alternative history tours. Oh yeah. Where she'd like go in and be like, "Well, let's talk about like the contested history of this object or like you know the history that's not on the museum label i can't remember what the the tours themselves were called but anyway she goes through lots of objects mainly maybe all based in britain okay yeah yeah highly recommend yeah that, that that's another thing too that would be cool about like a really easy way to kind of remedy this thing is even to just introduce some of that contemporary history and like, yeah, like not just like the origin of this object and the history that it represents, but also like the, the history of the object itself. And like, even that just to be like this, like, cause most objects you see, it doesn't say this was taken from this society or this person from this culture at this time. And here's where it's been since and you know and there's some really cool stories behind them like i'm sure i'm sure most listeners have probably already listened to this podcast but if you haven't um the stuff the british stole which is by bbc australia i think um amazing and they go through the and that's exactly what they do they take like a really contested object that's like in the british museum and go through the entire history of that object including it being taken by the British and how it's been interpreted and all those things. Like, even just to, like, acknowledge that because museums, people, um, archivists, all that things were so intense about provenance, about where this thing came from, right? And keeping, like, that's the one thing you always have to know the provenance. You can't let it go. Yes, that they're so obsessed with provenance and that if they introduced more contested history into their, like, talking about it. Yeah. Which... Is an amazing suggestion, and it's never ever gonna happen yeah. because the minute that they introduce contested history, that they, they are admitting that they don't deserve to have those objects. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the whole thing that Alice Proctor talks about is like when they when the, the I think it was the Australian National Museum or something asked for that shield back, 
they like changed the interpretation to make it more unclear where the Whoa. object was from. Crazy. So that they could be like, well, look, it's uncontested. Yeah. Or like, you know. We don't know where yeah. it came from. It just like showed up here and now it's ours. So <laughs> it's just here now. So they would like, we don't know what happened. They just disappeared and now they're on the, the, the dark web and people are buying these random things. Oops. Yeah. Oopsie. Whoops. Our bad. Museum goes but not our bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, don't blame us. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, anyway, that's probably a pretty good place to leave it. But no, that was yes. a, that was a good a good chat. We would love to hear anyone else's thoughts. Uh, if you've been keeping up with this story, maybe we'll do like if anything new comes out about it, we'll like we'll update you guys on socials or something. Yeah, um, we'll see what happens. As much as I, we love to talk about, oh, they could do this and they could do this. It's probably not going to change much, which sucks, but it at least is a really cool time to be talking about these kinds of issues in museums. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it like can spark some interesting conversations that maybe can't be applied to those major institutions, but smaller museums can take them into account and think like more critically about their collection and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yes. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Again, we could, we could probably have a whole other episode about why the British museum is shitty apart from this one story. Easily. But we'll link um, the books and the podcast and the articles we mentioned down below. So check them out. Um, Yeah. And go to your local museum and and see what they're hoarding, I guess. Or, yeah, I don't know. I guess guess go to the ROM. Go to the ROM and be like, yo, why? Go to the ROM. Why do you have 13 million things? And and so the ROM is so bizarre. Go to the ROM. Be like, why is this all here? And think yeah. about it. Any museum, it's a really good exercise for your brain to like, it, just to give you some perspective of like, they're just because it's on a label, it's not objective. There was someone who wrote it, someone from an organization, nationality, background, whatever, right? And there is never just a one side to most of these objects. There's, again, there's the history behind it, and then there's the history of it. So, yeah, um, yeah we inspire you to. Uh, to find a couple objects maybe that you're like, hmm, why is this here? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Why is this person's body here when it should be in Egypt? Yeah. In the ground. <laughs> in the ground. Or in their tomb. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you guys have enjoyed this like first real installment of the After School Archive Club. Not to say that the Oppenheimer conversation wasn't yeah. a real installment. That was like the training wheels one. This is like Yeah. Yeah. This is like getting ready to go. Us getting into it, so. Yes. Yeah. If you have any, you know, insights that you want to DM us, you can always DM us, email us, all of that good stuff's always in the uh, show notes. And other than that, we hope you've enjoyed it, and we will uh, see you later. I can't remember what we're supposed to say at the end of these. we still don't have anything figured out for what we're going to sign off with, other than, like, see you after school, but... Yeah, was it see you after school last week? It was like it was. something. It, okay, it was. It was, but I, I don't know. It's not like mm-hmm. the most, I don't know. It doesn't feel right, at least not yet. But we'll find it. No. We'll find it. We'll find it. But until then, we'll see you after school. After School Archive Club is produced in sound design by Elizabeth Edwards with music by Matthias Muller. Thank you.
This podcast is recorded in London, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, Donapawak, and Atawangaran. For more information, follow us on Instagram at Afterschool Archive Club Pod and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.